three, two, one, let's jam. It's Geek Top 5! Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. We're bringing you the five coolest things that are happening in the world of geekdom right now. Let's count them down. Number five, Sin City TV. That sounds like something you'd see in the back of a cab uh, in Las Vegas. Yeah, Sin City. Uh, Frank Miller's graphic novel became one really good movie and one fine movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was 2005 was the first Sin City. That was the, the, the noir crime thing. So good. Very stylistic. Yeah. Um, it was black and white, but with touches. You know, black and white, but the car is red, or Ava Green's lips are red. Like, that kind of thing. Uh, it was cool. It was fun to watch. Um, yeah, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Quentin Tarantino came in to, to do a scene. Some cool stuff. Yeah, like, all-star all yeah. cast. You could go out like, for hours reading all the Jessica Alba, Benicio Del Toro, Clive Owen, Mickey Rourke. It goes on and on Bruce and on. Bruce Willis. Everybody was in this movie. Graphic novels were great. Movies, movie was great. Sequel was okay. It was fine. Yeah, it was all right. I mean, it took a long time for it to come out, and I think some of the uh, the electricity had left the property by then. Yeah, not a lot of people paying attention by that point. Yeah, um, but they decided to try and bring it to television. I think it's a really good fit because it's the city is the main character of the stories. Like the comic books, there are continuing characters and storylines, but really the city is the only consistent element. And so if you have an anthology sort of show where the, the city is the star, I think that's what, it yeah, is, it, what it, you need for a TV show. It lends itself really well to you know, short incremental blocks. Well, that's even what we got in the movies. It wasn't, there was sort of a broad arc, but it was really these individual stories, these individual people all in this it's super noir, super, I want to say 30s. Like, I don't think it technically took place in the 30s, but that... Like yeah, that like, air. Yeah. You know, like the dark alleyway lit by streetlights and cigarette smoke. You know, 50s, you know, film noir. It's film noir. It's yeah. a film noir with more it, like, of an if, edge. If there was a god of film noir, this would be the temple where he was worshipped. Right. <laughs> um, so we know a little bit about who's involved with this. So Frank Miller is signed on as a producer. The Weinsteins are, are going to be on board. The, the genius, well, maybe not genius, but the, the amazing producers who won millions of Oscars in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, they're on board. I think they have the rights because of the connection with the films. And the, the big names that are attached right now as far as the, the creative thrust of it are Glenn Mazzara, who was, uh, I think, a showrunner on The Walking Dead for a while, wrote some of The Shield, amongst other things. Hmm. And Len Wiseman, who is the director of the Underworld movies, the leather vampires versus... Uh, shirtless werewolves yeah. action movies. Which, again, when you say leather vampires versus you know, shirtless werewolves, you have to narrow it down. Right. <laughs> because of the world we live in today. Underworld, that's not Mila Jovovich. That's, no, that's Resident that's Evil. That's Resident Evil. It's, uh, and then Twilight is the one that's mostly the sexy one. So, well, the sparkly one. Sparkly one. Uh, and then it's... But this, this is, the, is the, the guns and Kate Beckinsale. Kate and, Beckinsale, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. There you go. That one. Yeah. See, I remember the first few movies were very blue. Yeah. If you try yeah. to get the blue one, that's the one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he's, he's, I think he did one of the uh, Die Hard movies, but really his bread and butter, his name is synonymous with those Underworld movies. Um, and the, the, I think the good thing about that is those movies have a very specific style, and these Sin City movies are also, or, or TV show, is also going to have to be super stylish. So maybe there's a match there? Yeah, it's... 
I, it's not one of those things where I'm going, why are they making a TV show? Like I could see that. That yeah. could work. I would follow something like that. It's interesting. I um, Like you said, the city is the main character. It has nothing to do with really... I mean, well, everyone's story is important, but that's not the big takeaway. So the question is, what are they going to do on the show? Like I've read both in doing my research for this that it's going to be very similar to the movies, and that's going to be a huge departure from the movies, which I guess what they're trying to say is they're going to do it the same style, but they're going to be writing new stories. Yeah, like my understanding is that it's it's new stories set in that world. It, I doubt it'll reference anything that happened in the movies, um, and it'll probably be a bunch of new characters, so there'll be some connective tissue from yeah. episode to episode. I mean, they're probably not going to cast Bruce Willis in the, this re- recurring character in a television show. Probably not. No. Yeah, budget might not support that, even yeah. without color. But, I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see, because they don't even have a, a channel attached to it yet. I mean, if, if we go if it goes to HBO, maybe you can't afford a Bruce Willis. True. <laughs> True. The Game of Thrones, just throw money at it model of television. Yeah. seems to be going a long way. Um, the... The, the, the question with this is going to be, I mean, I feel like most of the, maybe not all the stories from the Sin City books were covered in the movies, but sort of like the good ones were. Yeah. You know, A Dame to Kill For and the the yellow, the yeah. Like, <laughs> the yellow B word. <laughs> yeah, the yellow B word. is We're a family-friendly podcast, folks. <laughs> it makes it difficult to go over Sin City. Yeah. So like, if they're writing original material, like normally that would throw me off. Like someone else is good, but Frank Miller's involved. Yeah, and I think the comic books create enough of a template that you can you can generate new material set in that world without it being, you know, world breaking. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can do bad noir. It's been done. That's true. So. I mean, I'm sure Frank Miller's done his share of it. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. But uh, but you know, it, it's. You might have thought that doing Star Trek without Gene Roddenberry would be, you know, sacrilege, and yet some of our best Star Trek doesn't have Gene Roddenberry involved. So At some of our best Star Wars doesn't have George Lucas, right? Right. Uh, some of the people whose names are G. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, this is something that could be really cool, and it's something we should keep our eye on. I do sort of hope it's HBO or one of those specialty services. Like, yeah, like I don't think it's going to be on NBC. Right. Exactly. It's not going to be premiering after The Voice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll learn, we'll see a little bit more about that as it comes. Moving right along to our number four. <laughs> so we were just talking about the crazy Star Wars theme park. Yeah. Um, Nintendo is also doing it. <laughs> a crazy theme park. A crazy theme park. They announced and had a groundbreaking ceremony for Super Nintendo World, which great name, by the way. Yes. That's um, so it like hits right in our sweet spot. Yeah, of yeah Super it, Nintendo. Yeah, th- that is a sniper rifle pointed unerringly accurate at 1992. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're only what, like uh, 28 years too late by the time they, this is actually up and running, which is slated to be 2020. Slated to be 2020, but I mean, Nintendo isn't going anywhere. That's true. It's, it's been a while since they were Super Nintendo, right? Um, but I think what's happening there is they're very clearly like they're attracting the 30, as we 40 year olds by the time we get there, and we'll be bringing our kids. Yeah, and we've talked about on the show before that Nintendo really is the Disney of video game companies. Like all their, like they have a like a stable of characters who all get along and do all this different stuff. You know, Mario fights Bowser to rescue the princess, but then they play tennis against each other. 
yeah. and go-kart against each other. And, <laughs> and, you know, like Disney, they've had some peaks and valleys, but they always seem to be popular. They always are able to attract kids. Yeah, and, and it's just know. it's so recognizable and so home family friendly. If you think about it that way, it's kind of silly that they didn't have a theme park already. It, it seems built for it, you know? The, the, you jump around, there's, there's uh, all sorts of wacky characters, there's... Because of Mario's uh, enthusiasm for sports, there's lots of different themes you could do there. Oh, there's plenty. They, uh, there was an interview uh, with Shigeru Miyamoto. This is, this, you know, this is Mr. Mario, the, the, Mr. Nintendo. And he's, his quote is, Here, Nintendo games will come to life. Guests will be able to enter a world of excitement where they will feel as if they are playing inside Nintendo video games. And then it goes on to the list. I guess it's like a trademark thing. Well, all the stuff they want to do, they're listing entertainment shows, amusement park shows, um, management and arrangement of kart racing. That's in there. That's in a very obvious wink. I mean, as far as I can tell so far, that's the only thing that we have any real concrete evidence of, is that there's going to be some sort of kart racing element. Well, but, I mean, basically, we're going to, there are going to be rides and performances. It's right. going to be everything you expect. But you know that based on the term theme park, right? Like, well, yeah, that's the other park. There's also that trademark that sort of talks about the, uh, the, the salesmanship of it. This is like a paragraph long. I won't do the whole <laughs> thing, but they're listing... Clothing, namely coats, dresses, Halloween costumes, hoodies, jackets, pullovers, t-shirts, regular shirts, shorts, sleepwear, sweatshirts, tops, loungewear, underwear, infant wear. This this goes on and on. Like, I'm scrolling with my finger here. It sounds like it's less of a theme park and more of a Walmart. Well, you know, if you go to Disneyland with less pie-in-the-sky eyes and you take a look at the $24 waffle cones and, right. and the Mickey ears <laughs> and the... It's it's possible this large corporate celebration of itself might have some ulterior motives vis-a-vis your wallet. All right, well, I, I have a question for you. With the, the go-karting stuff, do you think it's going to be actual go-karts that you get into and race your friends, or is it going to be like a roller coaster that is a go-kart theme? I, I imagine they'll do both. I imagine yeah. like there'll be everything from bumper cars to like on-rail rides to actual go-karting. All right, let's let's uh, brainstorm here a bit. Like, what would you like to see in in this theme park? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, f- honestly, what interests me is seeing I, I, everything they've advertised so far has been very Mario centric, right? Because Mario is Nintendo's flagship, but a lot of their other franchises sort of come from these fun theme worlds. So you know, the Legend of Zelda stuff. That you could do a really cool sort of medieval times thing, like you have the castles and knights and sword fights and stuff. Like that would be cool. F Zero has a very futuristic, not quite Blade Runner, but this very neon yeah. look, where you know, everyone's in the space jumpsuits and stuff. I'd like to see some of that. So the way that you have Disney World broken up into you know, like Space Mountain and the Epcot Center, depending how ambitious they are about this, I'd like to see the different themes. I'd like to see the different cool places to go. I'm sure that Mario will be all over the whole thing. I can buy a red hat and white gloves wherever I want. Yeah. But some of that other stuff interests me. And again, all they've done so far is groundbreaking, so we don't know if any of that's coming. But that... I'd like to do that, and I'd like to take kids to that one day. I'd love to see the uh, like a, a Mario themed obstacle course, sort of like American Ninja Warrior Wipeout, like a. Are you a jump from like block to block yeah. and like go into a green pipe? Yeah, and, and climb up a beanstalk or whatever. Like like that sort of stuff would be a lot of fun. It would put you in the world and make you feel like you're Mario. I mean, maybe you don't want to jump and hit bricks with your head or, or something to reveal prizes, but. 
everything up to that, I think, should be in the. I mean, I'm the sure hopper. they'll find a way to make that work. And like, uh, you know, I, unfortunately, I have not been in a position to play Splatoon, but it seems like it would lend itself to a land in in Super Nintendo Land. Sure, it's basically paintball light. Yeah, right. So oh, sounds good to me. That works. Uh, like you said, uh, sorry, you said it was 2020. They were. Yeah, and this is uh, this is Universal Studios Japan. Right. That's so. the, yeah. That's the other thing. So it's going to be a bit of a plane trip, yeah, and a little bit of a language barrier. Probably not as much as you think, but yeah, it's it's not it's not going to be in Orlando. But they have they have said that there are going to be sort of like smaller versions that are going to be happening at the American Universal Studios locations. Ah, too. Oh, that, there you go. We're yeah. sold. We're already sold, and it's three four years away. <laughs> assuming everything goes as planned, which it never does. Uh, hey, if we're still doing this, then we'll bring the recorder along. We'll let you know how it is. <laughs> so number three. Uh, there are talks of putting together a live-action show of Cowboy Bebop. This which... is a dicey proposition. <laughs> this is. I'm just trying to figure out what's the overlap with our audience who's watched Cowboy Bebop. I know there's some. Well, let's cover our bases. Yeah, so Cowboy Bebop um, was a 1998 anime show. Um, it's one of the best. It's one of those. It's won the awards. It's very well regarded. It's only like 26 episodes. Yeah. But it's sort of considered the gateway drug into Japanese animation. Yeah, uh, but even then, yeah. I think it's like it's it's like a gateway drug, but it's also one of the pinnacles. You oh, know? for sure, it's one of the best things that ever came out of there. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is a science fiction series um, where they're, like they're honestly, it's got like one of the first. Put it this way: the first time I saw Firefly, I said to myself, eh, "There's some Cowboy Bebop touches to this." Yeah, it's um, it's post Earth space. And you know this, and there's space society, but it's not the Federation. It's it's dirty and grungy, and these cowboys are essentially bounty hunters right. who travel through space and try to try to fight crime. And at, at first, it's just you know one guy and his pilot buddy, and then over the course of the first few episodes, he you assemble sort of like a ragtag team. Yeah, the, the typical eccentric crew. Yeah, the you know, the, 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 the ex cop with a secret and the. The main character has, has some organized crime ties. We don't know what that's about. There's the you know the, the breathtakingly beautiful but internally damaged con artist and the eccentric hacker. Yeah. Like a lot of archetypes, but they're done really well. Um, and they fly around on their spaceship and have adventures trying to catch these very unique criminals in this really uniquely sort of this world that's really uniquely mixed of cultures. Again, Shades of Firefly. Right. Where they've just got all this weird stuff. It's Asian some... stuff, Western stuff. It's like that, the very Firefly vibe. You know? Yeah. There's no other way to describe it to uh, an American audience, I guess, or a North American audience. So it uh, it's very, obviously, very successful in Japan, but it became very successful over here. Uh, there's a lot of people, it's funny, like, anime has a thing where, like, purists will tell you they have to watch it with the Japanese voices and wa- reading the subtitles. Yeah. A lot of people will tell you the Cowboy Bebop, the English voices, can outdo the Japanese ones. Hmm. Like the performances are phenomenal. And that makes it really accessible to people who aren't used to watching their cartoons in another language. Right. Anyway, that's the backstory. It's great. There's 26 episodes of it. If you haven't watched it, you should check it out. It's great. But they're talking about making a live-action one. Yeah, and basically ever since this uh, show hit it big in North America, they've been trying to do an American adaptation of it, usually in the form of a movie. Like, I remember hearing rumors of Keanu Reeves being involved and, and all sorts of people over the years, but nothing has ever clicked. And now we're in, like, this golden age of TV shows, and, and there's there's talk of it in a more serious way. Like, we, we could actually see it happen this yeah. time. And if it happens... I mean, I don't know if you've been following the thread of the conversation. If it happens, this could be our new Firefly. I would be okay with that. that. It's another show about space cowboys in this broken <laughs> down... Like, it's, 
I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't know why people, like, why didn't it occur to the people who making these shows, all the people who loved Firefly, that we'd love to see this too. Yeah. And your characters are already established, and your world is there, and it's just like everything is set up and ready. It could be phenomenal. It could also be terrible. That happens sometimes. Right. The live action death notes weren't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So here's what we, we know so far. Uh, we know that the original anime producers are going to be involved, so that's a good sign, right? It's a uh, great sign. And they and Chris Yost has been hired. He wrote Thor 2 and Thor 3. That's sort of the big things on his credits, but he was part of a writer partnership with uh, another gentleman, and they created X-23 together. I mean, oh. as, as far as like later characters, the actual creation of a character gets a little fuzzy and murky, but they wrote her first appearance on the X-Men Evolution cartoon show and then wrote her first miniseries, first two miniseries, I think, in uh, the comic books. So they've got some cred there, yeah, right? Easily. X-23 is the the little girl Wolverine who was recently in Logan, as we discussed at length in our previous episode. Mm-hmm. So, so he's got some cred. I mean, Thor 2 wasn't uh, a masterpiece, but uh, Thor funny. 3 looks great. Thor two was fun. It yes. wasn't a masterpiece, but it was it was hilarious. I I agree. I I quite liked it. Uh, but anyway, that's yeah. a whole other conversation. True. So that's what I, as far as I can find, that's what we got so far. As far as uh, people behind the scenes, I think it's a good sign. You know, it, it sounds like they have everything lined up they need to make this good. A lot of it is going to rely on who they cast because this show is this is the opposite of Sin City. This is all about those characters. Right. They need four really good people and a corgi. It, uh, yeah, super intelligent, Corgi, because it's space, but right. regardless. Yeah, some people have talked about Keanu for, for Spike Spiegel. Um, I think at this point, it, that ship is sailed. Like, maybe. I think he's, he's, he's gotten a little old, but then yeah. John Wick. I know, and John Wick's amazing, but part of the appeal of John Wick is he's like too old for this crap sort of vibe, right? Yeah, he's retired and I can see settled that. down. Yeah, maybe. Either way. That's very exciting, and we feel like there's probably a lot of you out there who aren't tied into this. You should take a look. It's a great show. Also, I think you can find some pretty good fan art of Benedict Cumberbatch's Spike. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't. I personally don't think he'd be a great fit, but it's great fan art. Okay, I, I'll look that up. <laughs> Number two on the list. This is brand new. Yeah, news. just hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> breaking news. Uh, we saw the first real trailer for Black Panther. Marvel's next big superhero. Yeah, so he debuted on the big screen in uh, in Captain America: Civil War. Uh, he's a the king of an African nation called Wakanda, and he also runs around in a panther suit and claws people up, and it's bulletproof, and he's all acrobatic. He's he's like a, an African Captain America. There you go. Yeah, but Captain Wakanda. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we saw hints of that. We saw one of the bad guys. We saw Ulysses Claw in Age of Ultron, right? Yeah. Uh, no, in, in Civil War as well, I believe. Well, we saw Black Panther in Civil War. I don't know. Oh, if... okay. You, I think you're right. Yeah, we saw in, in Age of Ultron, because he's looking for the, the super metal, right. which is tied to Wakanda. So there's been hints of that. Vibranium. Vibranium. Thank yes. you. The Like the non-copyright adamantium. <laughs> in the comics, at least at some points, Captain America's shield is made of a mixture of adamantium and vibranium. There you, there go. you little, go. Little nerd trivia. So we saw Ulysses Claw there, dealing with so that Ultron could build his super body and his super take a city into the sky thing. It was a little confusing. And then in Civil War, we meet the character Black Panther, and right. that one ended with the after credits where we saw Wakanda. Yeah, and, and they're uh, keeping um, Bucky, Bucky there. Yeah. Now we're going to learn more about that. 
so yeah, I mean, uh, Ulysses Claus, played by Andy Serkis of uh, Gollum fame, putting on a what I think is a pretty good uh, South African accent. You see him at the beginning of the trailer chatting with Martin Freeman, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Watson, uh, doing a less than stellar American accent, but, but you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And he's talking about what kind of one of the the things that I didn't notice the first time I watched it is that uh, Ulysses Claw, who generally just goes by the name Claw, is missing his uh, his arm in that scene. It's they don't really focus on it, but he's missing his arm, which is right. an important part of the character since his superpower that he gets is he gets this prosthetic arm thing that shoots sound waves, and he can create anything he can imagine out of sound waves with it. So we're probably going to see that in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Let's see where that's going. But more importantly, it's the they're like the only two white guys in the cast. They're the only two guys you see on the screen who who aren't African American or African or, or Wakandan. Wakandan. They're the Chadwick Boseman plays uh, plays Black Panther as we saw in the previous movies. Uh, we also have huge cast: Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker. It's it's a hell of a cast list. I don't know who most of them are playing. Michael B. Jordan will be playing the delightfully named Eric Killmonger. (laughs) I bet he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess this is his attempt to, you know, make good after being Johnny Storm in Fantastic Four. He's he's already a a villain because of that, and now he's just uh, playing into that role. Uh, But other than that, we don't know a ton about what the, the movie's about. They Ulysses Claw is telling Everett Ross in the beginning of the trailer that uh, you know everything he knows about Wakanda is wrong and that they're a secret nation that nobody's seen it. Everything they know about it is wrong. I'm a little confused about that since there's this whole like UN stuff in the Civil War with Wakanda dignitaries talking with people. It's like how do they not? How do well, they not they, know? Like, what we know from the stories from the comics and from a really good uh, animated movie actually, but we know that they like the, like the, all that vibranium. That Wakanda has access to, like that—that's supposed to be an extraterrestrial origin, right? And, yeah. And in several of the storylines, it's supposed to be like there's a crashed alien ship there. I think at one point it might have actually been Chitari. I'm not sure. Um, but like, so essentially, they've been hiding the fact that they have this super advanced technology. Hmm. And that's part of where the super advanced metals come from. Right. Like they're supposed to be the most uh, technologically advanced city in in or their their capital anyway is supposed to be the most technologically advanced city in the world in the. Mm-hmm. But it's I, it, but it I, seems like in the cinematic universe that's been hidden. Yeah. So which I mean is kind of suits in because otherwise why wouldn't we have heard about it by now? Right. It's it's interesting. I, I'm interested to see how they played out and how they they sort of have that meld with what we've already seen in Civil War. But anyway, I'm willing to see it through. Ryan Coogler is the director and he did Fruitvale Station and the Rocky sequel Creed. That came out a couple years ago. That was also really good. So he's got a good track record. One of the things that I like about it, and and that I think puts it in a similar sort of playing field as the new Thor movie, is that it looks really distinct from any of the Marvel stuff we've seen before. Like, like Thor looks like a brand new world, uh, and this looks like a brand new world as well. You know, some of, there's a bit of a homogeneity, is that a word? Um, homogenous Yeah, I know what you're getting at. About some of the other Marvel movies where they all look kind of the same, even though they're different directors. These have very distinct styles, and I'm excited to see that and see, uh, see it work with the other characters. Yeah, everything from the way it was shot to the costumes yeah. to the colors to the... Just the way the city looks. It, it looks, it's got its own feel. Yeah, and it looks like nothing we've seen before in a superhero movie. Yeah. 
Which is weird, because we know that they're going to be tying it back into you know, the larger Avengers stuff. Because we know that Bucky is there. and Yeah. like I we didn't see him in the trailer. I didn't. wonder if he'll play I'm a part. Sh- I'm sure he I will. I guess so, yeah. Remember that scene, it was, it, was it Steve Rogers? That seems like, you know, they'll come looking for him. And Black Panther will be ready. Right. Like, it's, <laughs> like we know what's going to happen here. Yeah. Uh, can't wait to see it. Looks great. Number one. Number one. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Wonder Woman. Um, spoilers for Wonder Woman. Yeah, let's put that on yeah. Front Street. Spoilers for Wonder Woman and really, like, you know, we wouldn't worry about spoilers for Suicide Squad because we wouldn't encourage you to see it. <laughs> Wonder Woman, if you haven't seen it, go see it and then Definitely. come back and listen to this. Definitely go see it. So, spoiler tag on. Take your mom. Go see it. It's oh, you can great. go. You don't have to. You don't have to go hide behind the... Uh, you can go yourself. Go by yourself. Take your mom. Take your dad. Take everyone. Take no one. Do what you want, yeah. but go see it. So, spoiler tags on, Wonder Woman was pretty great. Like, DC has finally made a really good movie. I'm going to buy this one when it comes out. Definitely. I, I, it's, it's, it's a really good movie. And, um, yeah, let's, let's talk about our, our best thoughts about it first. Best thoughts about it first. Okay. Um, the, this is a different superhero character. This was an origin story movie, which has been, I've said on this show before, it's time to stop doing it, but it was a new origin story. And I was interested in it. Yeah. Like, I wasn't just sitting there like, okay, yeah. And then she you know, waited for her to grow up. And then I was interested in following the young version of that character. And then, like, seeing how she became who she was going to be. I liked how they didn't dwell on that side of things too much, though. Like, like most Wonder Woman origin stories involve, uh, like, a, a sort of battle for who gets the honor of taking uh, Steve... Trevor, I always want to say Steve Rogers, yeah. Steve Trevor back to Man's World, but in this case, they just skip that. Like, like obviously, cool. yeah. Wonder Woman's gonna win. Like, it's the, she's the star of the movie. There's no suspense there, so she just goes and steals the stuff and, and makes her way, which I I really preferred. I can see that. Yeah, there was no reason. No, no one else in there was even interested in him. So yeah, that works out. Um, her her character arc was great. It was perfectly believable. She's, you know, she's been sheltered and isolated, but she learns about the world in a very believable way. The scene where we first see the full Wonder Woman outfit, where she climbs out of the trench into No Man's Land, I feel like I've seen that scene 12 times already in the trailers. I still got goosebumps. Yeah, when she's the... walking through in slow motion, she's got yeah. the shield. Like, it and she's, looks, oh, she spent so like half an hour going like, no, stop dithering around. We have to go fight the bad guys. Says, well, it's more complicated than that. No, no, no. Then she's finally like, F it. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to go do something about this war thing. And she goes out and does something about it. And you're just sitting there in the theater going, yeah! <laughs> it's... I mean, the other the other DC movies, all of the characters have this darkness to them. And this the, they, they live in that same sort of realm that Chris Pine's character does in this. Where it's like, ah, oh, it's more complicated. There's, you know, good people can do bad things. And bad people can do good things. And this, she's just like, no. I'm good. I'm going to go do the right thing. Yes. There's no... Middle ground here. Exactly like a DC character should. The yes. DC characters have always been the ideals, the what we want to be. Yes. And she is that character of what we want to be. She knows the right thing to do. She's capable of doing it. And she's going to go out selflessly to do it. It's it's such a relief. Yes. She is, you know, in a way that the, the Henry Cavill Superman and the Ben Affleck Batman aren't. She is someone you, you aspire to be. Right? Right. Ah, so good. So, we get, we're going to vamp... Like, we could gush about this forever. There are a few little nitpicky things here and there, which is... 
the sign that I loved a movie is that I want to nitpick the small things. Right. There are little things like they definitely did not have enough of Lucy Davis, of Chris Pine's secretary. Yeah, Etta Candy. Etta Candy. Every word out of her mouth was gold. <laughs> Critically underused, and that was a shame. She's a, a classic character too. Like going back to the early days of Wonder Woman comics, she's been there since the beginning. So it was nice that they included her because she doesn't usually get adapted very often. But it worked. Yes. I wanted to see more. I had some issues with the. I mean, part of it is it's sort of a who's the villain thing. It's very cl- like it's clear to us in the audience that the villain isn't who we think it is. Yeah. Again, like spoilers. We're going to try to keep it. Sure. Uh, there's some red herrings. One of the red herrings is one of the villains has offhanded like, oh, by the way, I also created this superhero gas. Right. And this guy breathes a superhero gas and becomes super strong. Yeah. It's like. That's the movie. <laughs> if if you invent a gas in World War One, that's Captain America's super soldier serum. Essentially, it seems like that would be a little bit more important. But it's just sort of played out like, oh yeah, and also there's this superhero gas. Yeah, and this one guy is breathing it. It seemed a little weird. Like I get it was a red herring. It was supposed yeah. to make us focus more on this character. I want to talk about a scene with who the, the bad guy turns out to be. Can we just spoil it? Sure. We can spoil it. Because absolutely. Maybe it's because I'm a cynic. As soon as he handed the notebook to Professor Lupin, I was like, <laughs> well, okay, that's Ares. <laughs> Obviously. Like, it was so it was so obvious from a meta perspective. Right. Well, David Thewlis. There not, you go. Not Professor Lupin. <laughs> uh, Professor Lupin. <laughs> I love him. He's a great actor. He was great before Professor Lupin. He was great after. I will fight for him. All right. All right. David Thewlis, yes. who plays Ares, but we don't know until the end, but it's pretty clear if you're paying attention. The part that I found, there are a couple of parts in it that are sort of like, I don't know if they're unintentionally funny, but they seem sort of out of place in how... Funny, I found them, and that was one of them when they they're showing his origin, his like fall from grace when he's fighting Zeus and he goes down. <laughs> I know exactly what you can say. Yeah, and he takes his helmet off and he looks up to the sky and he still has this stupid World <laughs> War One mustache, yeah. even like, though it's supposed to be ancient Greece. Yeah, yeah. it's like we would have figured it out without the mustache. <laughs> like it, you don't need to do that, but it, that was <laughs> that was. I, I want to say Doctor Poison, the woman who has the superhero gas that. She gives yeah. to the other guy. Lugendorf. Yes. Who's a, apparently a real World War One general. Yeah. I don't think he actually had superhero gas, though. Well, if so, they wouldn't tell anyone, because apparently it's not a big deal. <laughs> so I really like Dr. Poison. I loved the weird uh, uh, face thing that she had to cover up her scars. It, it, I love the... I mean, this is going back to our university days, but I love the sound design. You know, when, when uh, I think it was Ludendorff runs his fingers along her face and there's this real like porcelain sort of noise ah oh, i just yeah. love that it was just a nice subtle touch Very sp- like, yeah e- like eerie character and just yeah. like yeah there's something wrong with this person but then there's a scene where they they are killing all these guys with poison gas and one of them throws a gas mask into the room and then the other one says but the gas mask won't work on it and he's like I know. And then they both cackle like villains from a, a 1920s silent movie. It sounded like, yeah, like Wacky Races. Yeah. Yeah. That was I, weird. I don't know if I thought it was bad or I thought it was perfect, but it was it was somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> it's, it's tricky because I found it really did two different themes. Like, you know, Diana's origin story is very Greek myth. And so that part of the movie was a very traditional Greek, like, hero's journey story. And it ended that way, too. Mm-hmm. The like the showdown with Ares is kind of like it's a CG superhero. Like, oh my god, that was like, the worst part of it. It was just this real yeah. generic. 
but and it's smoke everywhere. You can't see anything. Yeah, it was special effects, and it, yeah. and it was kind of silly in characters. But it suits that. Like it sounds like an ancient Greek myth, right? So I found I felt like it was kind of done intentionally, where like it starts as a Greek myth and it ends as a Greek myth, and then it just has this really compelling World War One story in the middle. Yeah, it. Um, I'm not sure I liked that the way they did that so much, but I get the impression that's intentional and it's mm-hmm. clever and it suits the character. We're over time. Um, I just want to add in also, just on Themyscira, way too much bullet time. Like I thought I, that was so cool. It was like, uh, it was, was, uh, you know, it was like, done like, in moderation. It's like, it's like no wonder they're still in the Bronze Age because time there runs in slow motion. <laughs> because every ten seconds, somebody has to like you know, reach for a vase and <laughs> super slow motion speed back up. Just constantly, it was a little much. That being said. Those are all nitpicks. This movie was a blast. It yes. felt good to watch. It they, like finally, finally they've hit on something that works. And if they're going to try and carry it, it makes me feel better about Justice League. Yeah, and I think it finally it puts to bed any of that uh, talk of um, you know women can't open a, an action movie. You know, yeah, it's, they it, definitely it's, can. You know, puts the lasso in a noose and kills that. Uh, that, that <laughs> I know what you're going for. Yes, yes. It, put, right. it, it ends those those conversations. Go watch Wonder Woman. Yes. Okay, uh, breaking in now for special Geek Top Five report. Uh, while we were recording this week's episode, uh, the press got word that Adam West, the voice, the player of Batman of the '60s Batman, and the voice of Adam West in Family Guy's Cohog has passed away at the age of 88. And the world is a grayer place without him. Yeah. Ah, um, man. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. We he he I loved the Batman TV show as a kid. I was one of those kids who didn't get that it was a joke and I was like on the edge of my seat at the end of every episode. I was well into high school before I found out that the the actors were in on the joke. Right, that was intentionally yeah. tongue in cheek. Something about Adam West's performance in that show, like what like he didn't play it as a comedy, he played it perfectly straight, and that's what made it hilarious. Yeah. As it made it so enjoyable. Um, man, so he he that that was the the series that sort of that made his career and also kind of broke it in a way because you know before that he just played generic cowboy guest stars on a bunch of shows like cow, cowboy shows were the bread and butter of most working actors in the '60s, and that's where he showed up most of the time and then he gets he gets Batman and becomes this icon he's everywhere and then the show ends and that it gets canceled that gets canceled and it's all he can be is is Batman for the rest of his career and for a while I think that handcuffed him but then he leaned into it and and he became this living legend and but he used it like for good like he's yeah. a, like, like like you know he didn't he he did charitable stuff like he he became a personality for a good cause and just that goofballery. I mean, like, really, like you, know, you can find more of his biography. And so, obviously, as we speak, all the news outlets are starting to publish this stuff. But those like, next to Batman, his biggest role was probably playing the goofy version of himself on Family Guy. Yeah, which, and in a million other things, like he all like Family Guy for sure. For is. sure, and they never mention Batman once. He's right. just Mayor Adam West, <laughs> and he, and he has the same really over dramatic performance. Yeah. That was that. It's just a delightful. It's one of my favorite characters on that show, and it's not one of the mainline characters. Ah, so good, and 
he's uh, I mean I got a chance to to meet him briefly at a convention he, he didn't have his line for autographs was pretty short and so we waited and shook hands with him and he he flirted with my girlfriend now my my wife it was like it's a, a important memory it was like a great moment <laughs> you could have lost your your wife to Adam West <laughs> <laughs> and this was he would have been in his late 70s at that point maybe early 80s and he was sharp and he was funny you know, we went to a, a screening of the the uh, Adam West Batman movie from 1966 at this sort of underground theater, and he came and did an intro oh, for it. Oh, that must have been incredible. It was fantastic. He was so funny. He made a joke about how Burt Ward was waiting in the car for him, and, and <laughs> it was ah, it was so good. And he he was always, always. So funny, and he he only got a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame a few years ago, and that seems like like a gross oversight. But at least it finally happened. I, I don't even know what to say. I'm all over the place with this. Uh, we're a little broken up at the moment. The problem with recording right after you hear bad news, geez. that movie was with a some days you can't get rid of a bomb bit, right? Yeah, where just unbelievable. I mean, by that point you had to know it wasn't serious, <laughs> serious. But Batman running around with this giant round bomb with a ticking fuse. Everywhere he goes, he tries to throw it behind. Oh, no, nope, there's somebody there. Just carry. Yeah. Oh, my God. It just, it's a very unique, very distinctive performance. And if anyone else were to do that kind of a bit, it would be compared to Adam West. It was a trendsetter yeah, he, in that way. You know, he, he played it. We sort of sometimes in this day and age, make fun of William Shatner's performance as Captain Kirk as being overwrought. And it seemed like he, at the time anyway, just thought that was, like, good acting. And and Adam West seemed to be doing it, like, doing a, a version of William Shatner, but, like, winking at the audience like, I know. Oh, he knew it was yeah, absurd. Absolutely. Uh, it just... And I, I'm pretty sure I've been reading that in some of the stuff that, like, yeah, he went into it knowing it was going to be this insane sense of humor, and he loved doing it. Ah, I don't even know what else to say. He's the world is a a much worse place right. without him in it. It's uh, ah devastating for for geeks and for anybody who likes anything. It's just, the world is is, is ah. We, we've lost someone important. Um, Adam West, born William West Anderson, 1928 to 2017. Geek Top 5 salutes you. Uh, you'll be missed. We'll, uh, we'll cut back in now with our regular recording and get back to the show. Geek Top 5. And we're back for the second half of Geek Top 5. This week, we have a uh, special guest interview top five with the amazing Ellen Wong. Woo-hoo! Star of the small screen, the silver screen, and local hero at this point, pretty much. I mean, uh, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's, a, it's really nice to be here with you guys. So we're going to uh, spend the episode talking about what what I guess I sort of narrowed down to your top five geek roles. <laughs> Essentially, all the things that you've done that we wish that we had done. Yeah. <laughs> or like the ones we want to live vicariously through you. For. So we're going to, the first one we're going to talk about is probably the, the least geeky one from a cosmetic level. And that was your from episode. From a cosmetic level? Yeah. Like just from, from yeah. an outside looking at it mm-hmm. sort of thing. 
Because, I mean, you've done some pretty cool stuff with swords and computer graphics. And we'll this get there. one, Yeah. This one, you're a waitress. It's, <laughs> it's the episode of Castle that you were on. Right, that's the important part. You were on Castle. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's head just exploded. <laughs> it's funny because I didn't even really... I didn't know the world of Castle before um, working on the show. And then when I ended up you know, getting to be in this one episode with the amazing cast, I was like, holy shit, this is a thing. People really, really love this show, and there's a huge following, and this is, like, this is really cool to be here with these people. Yeah, so let's let's go through your, the cast from a geek perspective, that, and you can you can give us your, like, your thoughts, if you have any. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you acted with all of them, but let's... Let's go through. Uh, you had, Linda Park was the, like the big guest star of the episode. Mm-hmm. She played Hoshi on Enterprise. Oh. That's that's the connection there. So what? How, how was she? Was she cool? Were you... She was so cool. I mean, all of our scenes were. I, I mean, because I was the waitress, so all my scenes were in the in the restaurant. Um, so I didn't get to see her do any of her cool badass stuff that she was doing in that episode. But she was definitely totally lovely to work with. And her cousin, Susan Park, was also on the show. So okay. it was really funny because the two Park cousins were, you know, working together. And it was just fun to be part of the Park family for that one episode. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. All right. So then another one. This will be near and dear to our hearts as we're big time Trekkies. Uh, Rosalind Chow, who mm-hmm. played your boss in the episode. She was Keiko O'Brien on Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So... You know, Keiko O'Brien is is a big deal. It's fantastic. <laughs> so what? Uh, so she was. She seemed pretty mean as a boss. Was that? Uh... She was very mean in the scene, but then very loving and caring after, like outside of the scene. And I just find that it's cool to be working with you know an older Asian actress. I think for myself, it's it's hard to find that within the industry to be able to like be in the same room as someone who's been working for so long and has this like amazing resume and here she is um, and I get to be in this room with her and work with her it's like she's bringing with her this experience of what it's like to be a minority within the industry and she's been part of the few actors who've been able to pave the way for actors like me and younger to be able to work on film in film and TV so it was really cool working with her like she just she just knew her way around and had amazing stories and was so lovely to be around and so encouraging. Okay, cool. And I, I think one of the cool things about her career is uh, the big things from what I know her from, they don't, it's not like she was relying on stereotypes or her roles were based on that. She, They were like, when she was Keiko O'Brien, it was a very, you know, an important role and, and no stereotypes related there. And she was the principal on the OC. <laughs> So she, That's she, right, she <laughs> was. Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, she had, she's had a really cool yeah. career, and it's like a, I think a, a diverse um, resume from anyone's perspective. Yeah, it's pretty cool. She's been working for so long. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really really great to work with her. And then another Deep Space Nine cast member is on the show, uh, Penny Johnson Gerald. I don't think you had any scenes with her. She's no, she's like I Castle's didn't. boss. Yeah. She's. Uh, uh, Cassidy Yates. Mm-hmm. There we go. Jesse's a huge deep <laughs> he's, he's trying to contain his excitement. 
And then finally, like, we're just burying the lead here, but Nathan Fillion, who's like a geek god, right? He was the best. I mean, <laughs> he was so... I, I, to this day, he, like, on, out of everything I've ever worked on, he is the friendliest person I've ever worked with. He was just so open and caring, and also he gave everyone who was working on the episode a gift, like a thank you card for being part of the show, and a wow. gift just just be like super encouraging and also just like congratulating and saying, you know, it's so lovely to have you guys here. It was, and he apparently he does that for everyone who works on every episode, wow. every guest star. And I'm like, that's. That's classy. He's a mensch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't. I mean, it's always good to hear that uh, these are sort of like heroes or like are good guys on He's set. He's such a good guy. Yeah. He has only good guy in him. That's very cool. Yeah, no, we can't, you can't beat that. No. <laughs> so like we said, like, Nathan Fillion is a geek god, and that connection is something that we need to jump on. And we will be bothering you about it for the foreseeable future. All the little details. Yeah. Like, what did his hair smell like? Things like that. Ooh, I didn't get that close. <laughs> but that oh, being said... But that being said, as we go up the list, some of the shows are a little more, I guess, geek-oriented. Yeah. Is the word, which is kind of our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. It's the name of the show. It's true. So let's move up. What's number four on the list? So, uh, Dark Matter. This is yeah. a pretty cool one. Uh, Canadian series, uh, a co-production between the Space Network and the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, yeah. Don't get Jesse started on the pronunciation of the the name. We have it, we have words for a reason, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so so yeah, the two seasons, third season's about to start, and you mm-hmm. became this recurring character in in season two. What can you tell us about uh, Misaki? So Misaki is Ryo, if, if you've watched the show, well, he used to be four, but now he's Ryo because he's back on his planet Zyron and is trying to avenge his sort of, his father's death, who used to be the emperor, and he finds out. I feel like I'm giving stuff away. Should I be even saying? It's, I think it's a little uh, bit of spoilers okay, is fine. Okay. <laughs> anyway, well, I am his old friend from the planet Zyron, and I'm noticing that he's not running the planet properly. <laughs> and so I have to intervene and uh, fix things. And um, it's not easy working with this guy because he doesn't exactly just want to listen to me. Um, and at the same time, he's got a whole other crew coming after us, and there's a corporate war going on, and it, there's a lot of things coming at us while, you know, also, you know, trying to maintain peace within our own planet, and um, there's a lot of chaos. So I try my very best to not kill people, but sometimes <laughs> you have to kill people to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to get at. That was a very diplomatic way that, of describing. That's the perspective of my character. I right. personally don't really believe that, yeah. but from, let's just say Misaki believes that. Yeah, from our point of view, dress like a badass, fight like a sword, and is in charge of an imperial guard. What I'm asking is, basically, are you playing this universe's Darth Vader? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> well, but I definitely you're... feel more powerful about it, I guess. <laughs> in like your it's... opening scene where you're coming down that hallway in slow motion with the sword at your side, I mean, there was there's no other way to look at it. You just looked uh, very intimidating. I just need a helmet or a yeah, I guess so. form of mask. <laughs> you don't even need that. You're scary enough with that. <laughs> in, in, in the I'm nicest possible way is what he means. Theater. Yeah. 
So when you come onto a show like that, like it's, you came on the second season, what sort of preparation did you have? Joining because it seems like it's like quite the elaborate mythology. Yeah, well, Joe Malazzi, the creator, he's lovely, and you, I mean, if Stargate fans are obsessed with this, his work mm-hmm. from that, so, you know, we've got a lot of fans from that on this, too. In terms of badasses, I put a lot of that sort of, that creation in his hands, because I wouldn't be doing this if he didn't write it. Or if he didn't approve of it. And I always say this to him, like, I would not be killing all of these people. Like, it wouldn't be my choice. Like, it's your choice. So I'm just saying, like, I'm just carrying out what you've written on the page. So kind of just following orders. Yeah, just following orders is exactly what everyone said before Mm -hmm. chaos broke out in the world. (laughs) So do you feel like Misaki? Like, I mean, obviously Misaki doesn't think she's a bad guy. No. But and that's a thing that I realize when playing this character, especially, is that like a bad guy doesn't think they're a bad guy, and you know that's a little bit scary to think about. But for me to understand her and to get into it, I had to really believe everything that I was doing and feel that everything I was doing was right, and or is right, and is going to be for the better of you know, our entire planet for our people. Right. Um, and so that made it easy. And then it just became fun to be able to say and do things that I myself would never do in real life. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's also a nice cover, just yeah. to make sure. <laughs> and to like, openly glare at someone. Like, I, I would never have the guts to do that to someone in real life. Something as small as that, I would freak out. I'd be like, oh, shit! And I'd go and apologize. <laughs> If I looked like I was glaring at you, I wasn't. It's just I don't have my contacts in it. I'm not wearing my glasses. <laughs> Good Canadian. Good Canadian girl. <laughs> so you you have some pretty intense like sword fights and fight scenes. Do you, I know you come to it with some training, right? But like the sword play seemed pretty cool. Did you did you learn that beforehand? Was that something that helped get you the job, or is that something you learned on on set? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first time I ever learned how to use swords was on Scott Pilgrim. So I, and you know, and since then I never really, you know, I didn't keep up with the sword training, but I then had to do some more rehearsals and training before shooting Dark Matter with um, John Stead. He was the stunt coordinator. And it was a lot of fun getting to hold on to these two swords again and to see what else, you know, I could do and I find that it's funny because it's muscle memory like some of the things like when they would show me the choreography I'd be like there's no freaking way I'm doing that that looks insane like how and then for some reason my arm would just <laughs> I don't know it would do something before my brain would say you can't do that it would just do it and I'm like okay I just gotta trust my body and then just and that's how I kind of got into it. Like, I really had to tell my mind to stop getting in the way. Oh, there. See, you say you wouldn't glare at anyone, yeah. but stabbing people comes naturally to <laughs> <laughs> It's like riding a bike. Yeah, yeah riding a, it's stabbing people is like riding a bike. That's, that's a what I've sticker. learned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to... So, uh, can you tease anything for, for season three of the show? It's starting in, in June? Season three is starting in June. Um, there's a lot more stabbing. <laughs> hey, okay, I'm in. Not saying it's from my character, <laughs> but it definitely happens. And um, we sort of get to really see some things get wrapped up 
not with a not with a neat bow, but mm. in the process of getting wrapped up in Zyron. Okay. Figuring okay. out what's going on there. Yeah. That's because the big part of that show is not knowing what's going on. So yeah. that's that's much much more of a tease than yeah. you let on. It'll be kind of refreshing to have some answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a neat bow. Okay. All right. We'll see more in June. All right. Let's move on though. So number number three on the list mm-hmm. is uh, is the void. Ooh. Now this is a, a sort of a, like I, I have to admit I've only seen the trailer, but man, the trailer was intense, and I, I want to check out more. It w- came out in Canada on April seventh. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved? What's the deal? Tell me everything. Steve and Jer, man, these guys are the best people to ever make a movie like this. Like nothing was, everything was practical effects. So nothing was done after the fact, like real monsters, gallons of blood. It, it was not, it, I, I must say, I, I wasn't acting. I was fucking scared. <laughs> I lost my voice on that movie because I was screaming a lot. And it was just, I, I had problems sleeping because it, it was just so much adrenaline every day. And then by the end of it, I was like, I, I can't believe I did that because I wouldn't, I, I've always told myself I would never do scary movies because it would really just mess with me, I think, psychologically. But I did this one and it was, it ended up being the most fun I've ever had. Wow. That's yeah. fascinating to me. I mean, you know, in the audience, we only see what's very carefully crafted to terrify us. But I mean, you must have seen, you know, you see the, the monster in yeah. the light and it's very clearly made out of plastic yeah. or what have you. But even then, you still felt kind of out of sorts? Well, yeah, because we we shot in an abandoned school in Sault Ste. Marie, and that's scary enough on its own. That was I hated school. <laughs> See, okay, now I'm gonna change. The, yeah. See, when you, if you hate school, an abandoned school <laughs> is that much more worse because you are alone. But with a film crew and with no, not always. Like, you're alone a lot of the time, even when there are people around you. Like, in school, it's lively, and you feel like there are lots of, you know, like, there's stuff going on. You don't ever really feel like you're, you know, anything could be kind of creeping up around. But on this shoot, it felt like, you know, everyone was, everything was so dark, and the way the set was created and lit, it just, it always felt like there was something lurking Jeez, and and it was it well, yeah it definitely was a strange and eerie feeling. And then our our green rooms would be a whole classroom, so I'd have like a whole classroom to myself as my green room, which I never sat in because I was like <laughs> I do not want to sit in this classroom all by myself waiting for the next scene. So I just went, I just sat with the crew and did you know I was like wherever there was just. A lot of people because it freaked me out so much. That that is eerie. Was yeah. it a lot of night shoots? Yep, some night shoots. So like night shoots in yep. an empty classroom in an abandoned school. That would be yep. that would be scary. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you know you know these monsters are fake, but they feel very real when you know you're shooting because it's the lighting, the makeup, and just the whole environment itself is making these monsters feel scary. Like your mind starts to play tricks with you. So, you know, you know, earlier I said this was the best film I've ever worked on. I freaking lied. <laughs> it messed me up. So, so we, I think we put the car before the horse there a little bit. Can you, is it possible to give like a, a synopsis or like a tease of the movie? Like what, what should people expect going into it? 
What should people expect going into it? Um, first of all, <laughs> it's very gory, so that's sort of the viewer discretion. I know some people don't like gore, and that's not really what they want to be seeing. But if you love gore, it's a movie that you want to go for, and practical effects. Um, but we're in a small town, and an, a crazy incident happens, and um, the board nurses and interns working there, and the doctors working there, are suddenly forced to deal with patients from this incident. And I'm, I'm doing a horrible it's, job. It's like, spoilers are a have, big deal. You're yeah. doing a good job of keeping it under wraps. And what they don't realize is that these um, patients are bringing with them some unearthly creatures of some form, and they start to reveal that perhaps this hospital is sitting on top of some other world that they never knew was really there. And things start to get really dark <laughs> and lonely and scary. And there's like I, a cult, right? Yeah. That I've, in the trailer, one of the most striking things was these guys in these white robes like completely covered but with this black covering over their faces. It was really creepy, I mean, just I that. I think they're a cult. I still don't know. Okay. They call them, we call them the disciples in the movie. But that's the thing. I'm not. We. I, we. I don't know. <laughs> I don't freaking know what's going on. As far as you're concerned, it's just a couple of hours of horrible things, and then it's horrible over. Horrible things happening, and then it's over. But it's still a great movie to watch. <laughs> it sounds like a blast to yeah. be on. Um, your description is kind of ruined. Like, it's a, oh yeah, I can see how that would actually be like days and days of endless horror, but. <laughs> Yeah, by the end of it, I was immune to it, so that's why I thought it was like great by the end of it. But I think having some time and some space looking back, maybe that's the PTSD talking. Ah. <laughs> so did you, after doing that, after being in the thick of it, are you more comfortable watching horror movies and stuff now? No, I could never watch a, a, a scary horror movie. Um, Even if you were in it. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I still <laughs> haven't watched The Void, and I really want to see it. I feel like Monsters, I can watch. That's something I think I'm going to I'm gonna be able to watch that, because I do love, love monster movies. But I feel like the movies that I can't watch are the ones where you cannot prove with science. Like, you can't <laughs> physically touch what is coming after you. Okay. And I don't want to know about that. Because if <laughs> I can't, like punch you, break you, hit you, like, get you out of my way. If I can't see, I don't want anything to do with you, and I want you to stay far away from me. Okay, it's the spiritual stuff, it's the unexplainable yeah, it, that bugs yeah, you. the intangible. Yeah, I, I hear the word Lovecraftian used a lot when talking about the void, and that's yeah. that's where that comes from. Yeah. So, you're, yeah, so you're right, this was a horrible match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, let's, uh, let's stop scaring the guest. <laughs> So let's move on to to uh, up until recently, I guess the the big one, which would be Scott Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. Not only uh, a big Toronto movie with with the excellent Edgar Wright, but also a comic book adaptation filled with video game references. Doesn't get much geekier than that. It was Toronto Geek Mecca as a comic book, uh -huh. and then they made a pretty great movie, yeah. and you were a pretty great part of it. We, I don't even I know where to... I think underselling it as pretty great. Like, we... We loved I mean, it. We've watched we it a hundred yeah. times. We're huge stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, what I'm dancing around is essentially, I don't even know where to start. I've got to ask, like, how was that? 
Like, to go from, like, stuff we're fairly familiar with to being on this huge set with this huge big deal. I just, what does that look like from your side? I mean, I still can't believe it happened because I, that was at the very beginning of my acting career. And so to be given that chance to work on a movie with all of these amazing artists, I was... I felt like I was unworthy of it, but yet at the same time, I wanted to soak in every bit of it because I every day was a learning experience. And I, I also love that I got to learn a lot about Toronto because I, growing up in the suburbs, was never, you know, hanging around downtown all the time, but I got to see a lot of Toronto that I never knew was, you know, a like here's a cool hanging spot or like this is where we like people love to go eat or just the culture of Toronto was something that I was exposed to through that movie also and yeah and getting to work with these great people now you keep the way you describe it it sounds like you you've drawn this false distinction <laughs> you were one of those great people your portrayal as knives was f- phenomenal yeah. knives was hilarious <laughs> And touching at the same time, like there's a, a big part of the movie revolves around sort of her arc, kind of in the like her reaction to what you know Scott Pilgrim is doing yeah. and how she grows as a result of it, and sort of ends up more grown up than him. Like that was a big part of it. Well, thank and you. that's I'm trying to draw some of that out. I'm, like, tell me about that. Tell me about tell me about knives. Tell I me about think how it... the thing with knives was that I probably had a lot of her still in me at that time because. I was so new to the experience that I didn't realize that I was playing her naive or innocent. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm totally, this is totally how I feel and it's fine. And yet to somebody else, they're like, well, she's really naive. And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't mean to be. But it just came across that way because maybe I was feeling that. But maybe, I, I guess it was like perfect casting. Yeah, maybe. it was like very meta in some way. <laughs> yeah. But... At the same, I mean, not to just put it to that, but at the same time, I, I mean, I was very aware of the arc that I wanted to tell with Knives because I do understand what it's like to be in her shoes, um, to feel like you never really fit into this world that you want to be part of, and you feel insecure and too small, like you don't have enough experience to be to be able to do this or that you might not be good enough, and. That was something that I felt very lucky to be able to explore. And then because of the scheduling, we did a lot of the fighting, uh, the scenes with the fighting and the sort of the end of the movie later on. So I had a lot of time to kind of get comfortable with everyone on set to be much more at ease. And then so by the end of it, I felt that fighting by the end of the film was perfect because I was ready to and I felt ready to take on everything that Knives wanted to take on also and to also you know give her some integrity and to give her some love also because you know just from reading the books it's so endearing to read this character because you're like you know what she might be annoying she might be stalking this guy she might be (laughs) you know forcing herself into this friend this group but I think we all in some way have a knives in us where we want to be part of something and are trying to find out how we can make ourselves part of something. And I think that's where I wanted to, um, that's the part of her that I wanted to, 
make clear and make people feel like they can relate to. That was a super deep answer. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> so yeah, it's so when Knives was grown up and ready to move on, you had grown up and yeah, ready to move on. I and felt were, that's, that too. That is a very cool parallel. And it's interesting because I even to this day I still think back to Knives and I go. I still feel like I'm trying to grow up and, and, and fit in constantly. Like, every new project that I'm working on, I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can... Like, there's always that feeling of, can I really do this? And then you try to fit in and you try to figure out a way to prevail, you know, and to fight and to really... And then to not fight and then to be okay because you've, like, fought enough and you're here and just, like, relax. It's cool. So I feel like I think about Knives a lot because she taught me a lesson in life. Wow. Too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, and like the the 10-year uh, anniversary is not, not too far off, oh right? My God, like it really? came out in 2010. Uh, yeah, we're in 2017. 10 years? <laughs> so. Feels like yesterday. I can imagine, yeah. It feels like yesterday for me, too. Yeah, well, it feels like yesterday we were just walking around school with our backpacks on campus <laughs> going to class, too. Yeah. Great. Wait, yeah. Thanks, Graham. We all feel... <laughs> all feeling our age now. <laughs> Ten years! Okay, well, let's let's move on from from that for now. Uh, how about uh, how about we we go to number one on the list? It's uh, it's it's a pretty cool thing. I'm very curious about this. This is open in researching this. This has opened my eyes. <laughs> so, so I didn't know this was a real thing. Okay, so it's it's Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, which is uh, coming out on Netflix on June 23rd. So you're gonna have a big month in June between Dark Matter and and this. But uh, what what can you tell us about it? Like, what's oh the deal? Oh gosh, this project has changed my life because at the beginning, you know, when I was auditioning, I was told in the self tape I was working actually in Toronto at the time on Dark Matter, and so I had to send a tape to casting because I wasn't able to audition in the room in LA or New York, and so in the in the self tape I had to do one scene, and then the second scene was a wrestling promotion. And I'm like, I've never been asked to do a wrestling promotion before, but this is this what? will be interesting. You've never, every, no. I get asked that every day. <laughs> it's never ending with this guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought, all right, well, I'm gonna go for it. And I watched um, a few YouTube links about the original Glow Girls, and they were pretty out there with the stuff that they were doing, and. I thought, wow, this is my chance to be, to not hold anything back, to just, like, it's like vomiting everything that you're feeling and being like, hey, this is cool vomit to look at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that might not be the, like, yeah. what the, exactly what the <laughs> showrunners want. <laughs> yeah, no. But, I, but, but I hear what you're saying. Like Wrestling isn't felt, known for subtlety. Yeah, like, I felt like <laughs> there was no chance to really think about anything. I just, I just took the material and went with it and had no idea what to expect I, I, I when I sent it I also was like oh my god that's that's too weird I can't believe I sent this tape I, that's too weird they're gonna think I'm weird and I suddenly was like really insecure and didn't want anyone to see it but I had already sent it and I was like I'm like I'm just gonna forget about it I'm gonna forget about it and then they called and they're like we want you and I'm like what <laughs> you want that weird thing that I send? 
And so I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. And then finding out that there are going to be 13 other women that I was going to be working with every day was another intimidating thing because I find that working with women, it can be intimidating and competitive within our industry. And I'd been looking for an opportunity to, you know, meet like-minded women where we're all empowering one another and supporting one another and encouraging. And I... Getting onto set with these ladies was one of those experiences where we just were bonded by this sisterhood, this female empowerment that we were all embracing all the weird qualities of one another and championing each other and also just like lifting each other up and allowing us all to just be whatever we wanted to be and this show allowed us to do that and it changed my perspective entirely of what it was like what what it could be like to work with women I've actually for the first time in my career feel more comfortable around women and feel more at ease knowing that there are women behind the monitors um the the women writing the scripts women surrounding me on set like it made me feel so happy to go to work every day now this is like this is fascinating for yeah. me. You you before you you, you 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 described how it was a little bit meta, like on the on the void. Mm-hmm. This is kind of that too. Like what you're describing, this experience, this empowering experience of working on this show, but that's also what the Glow Girls were mm-hmm. about, right? Like as much as it's you know, for you being really uncertain about this tape, like we see in the trailer the lead character is uncertain about her audition mm-hmm. for this wrestling thing. Like there's the it seems like there's a very clear parallel between the fiction of the show and the story of making the show with you guys in it. Right. So this show was very meta for all of us because the show is essentially about these actresses auditioning for a show, not knowing what it is that they're auditioning for yet. They find out it's a wrestling show that they're going to be auditioning for. And the ones who get the part have to learn how to wrestle because none of them know anything about wrestling. And so throughout the season, we're learning how to wrestle to then put on a show to, to, to shoot our first pilot, our, our pilot. And in real life, we were all actresses auditioning for a show we'd never wrestled before, but then had to learn how to wrestle to then shoot the show. So, so, so did you ever get confused whether or not you were actually a wrestler? Like, Oh, we were never confused about that part. Wrestling was one of the reasons why we felt so empowered, too, because what we learned was that it's real teamwork. You know, you can't right. wrestle by yourself. You real it's like a dance. You need each other. You you I have to be able to sell your throw or your punch or every and we have to work together to make you look strong or to make it look like you could really throw me like that or you know, and it was really, really interesting to work as a team, um, and to create these choreographed dances is what we were sort of thinking, like that was our perspective on them. Because it's not about like being able to really physically lift someone up and throw them, but it's about being able to make it look like you can lift someone up and throw them and that person's in a lot of pain and it's all like acting and showing that. And so that was really, really cool. So were there, so so you're playing someone who, like someone completely separate from you and she's playing a character too. Yeah. 
is this like kind of a unique acting job where you're like playing two roles at the same time kind of yeah i mean my character all of our characters really were trying to figure out um how we could fit into this acting world and then we get this gig and it's amazing and it's better than what we could have imagined because we end up finding a real you know real friends a real bond amongst these other women and at the same time we're finding other characters within us and unleashing them through wrestling characters and getting to showcase them in a ring in front of a huge audience and that's really empowering and these characters learn that too and through that we were learning that also and also our trainers um so Chavo Guerrero he was the wrestler who was training us and it's crazy because his family that he comes from a line of wrestlers and they're super badass but his uncle had actually trained the original glow girls Oh. And so it was really crazy that he was then on this show training us. Him and our fight coordinator, Shauna Duggins, were like our moms and dads. Like they were so, oh, they were so encouraging. None of us knew how to wrestle at all. And then we became wrestlers and now we're obsessed with wrestling. And we all we want to do is like when we see each other, we just put each other in headlocks or like freak out or do punches. <laughs> or just stu- we're just stupid and fun and like. We're, I don't know, we get to be weird and everything. We get to just totally be ourselves without worrying about it. So what's your character's wrestling persona? Well, I don't want to give that one away because (laughs) she learns that through the series. Oh, okay. We'll have to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, well, unfortunately, we're about out of time. Um, but is there anything, anything else you'd want? I mean, we've mentioned all the movies and so people can find you in, but is there anything else you'd want to promote? Do you want to leave a Twitter or anything? If people want to find you, what's the best way for them to go for it? Um, yeah, well, my Twitter is Ellen Wonkster, but then my Instagram is L Wonkster because <laughs> <laughs> I think Ellen Wonkster was taken on Twitter. I mean, on Instagram. All right. Oh, well, this is really confusing. Just, just we, look for Wongster. Yeah. Wongster is the key. We'll post links up on the post for the, yeah. on the website as well. Yeah. But thank you so much for mm-hmm. having me. It's so nice to hang out with you guys and to catch up and to chat about, I guess, all things geek. I would, don't even think about that when I'm going into the work. I just go, this is fun. Let's do it. So I guess... Well, if you, ever, fun if you ever want to know about the geek connections, the people you're working with, we're, we're your guys. We can, yeah. we can... You're always my guys. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right to my heart. <laughs> Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And while we're there, special thanks to our crew, to Stella Simeonova and to Ben Sound from bensound.com. And special thanks to you, the listeners, because of you that we get to do all this fun. And just have a blast for it. That being said... We've put all this together for you. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts about the shows, if you have anything to share, if you're looking forward to GLOW, please let us know. A couple of dozen different ways to do that. Yeah, you can go to our website, www.geektop5.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And you can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. Geektop5, we'll talk to you again in just a couple of weeks. Thanks very much. Woo!